typically the annual matchup between the Michigan State Spartans and the Ohio State Buckeyes has been used as a sounding board for Ryan Day's offense. But this year, with Ohio State's offense scoring closer to 30 points per game than 40 points per game, and Ohio State obviously looking ahead to their game against Michigan, could the Michigan State Spartans catch the Ohio State Buckeyes in a look-ahead spot? And can they play inspired coming off a win over Nebraska? And the deeper question surrounding the scheme is, what will Ohio State look like? They've played Penn State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers as their past three games. All of those opponents at the time that Ohio State played them, I say this because Wisconsin is now dealing with several injuries. They're at an all-time low after Indiana beat them. Um, those are three games in which Ohio State was tested, and those are three solid opponents, again, at the time that Ohio State played those teams. Penn State is a great to near elite football team. Wisconsin, pre-Braylon Allen's injury and the performance that the Badgers put on against the Buckeyes, I'd say made for Wisconsin to be a good, maybe above average team. And I think Rutgers is in a similar boat to pre-Braylon Allen injury Wisconsin, where they are a above-average to good football team. Penn State has a great offensive line. Rutgers, I think, has a near-elite offensive line. Wisconsin has a near-elite offensive line. All of those schools also have anywhere from good to elite NFL-caliber defenses. So Ohio State They've been dealing with some injuries. For example, Denzel Burke didn't play against Penn State or Rutgers in that stretch. And Emeka Ekbuka has been on and off. Cade Stover didn't play against Rutgers. And even Kyle McCord dealt with an injury toward the end of the Wisconsin game. So these next few weeks, it's the job of Ryan Day and the staff to make sure they are as healthy as they can be to face off against Michigan, to... You know, tighten up any loose ends to oil any gears that might be rusty or in need of filling up. And I think that in this matchup, there's a chance for Ohio State to try new things, to experiment with either passing the football more or running the football more. But in that wiggle room, to be more relaxed, to start preparing for the game, There is room for Michigan State to perhaps do the unthinkable, much like they did in 1998. Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam. And before we go any further into the video, I just want to remind you all to hit that red subscribe button if you think Ohio State is going to win this game. Click the notification bell and comment your thoughts on Ohio State football, your thoughts on Michigan State football, and who you think the Spartans' next head coach will be. And tell me your prediction for this game and what 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 do you think will what do you think will come of this game? How will Ohio State look? What will Michigan State look? Pardon me for that trip up over my own words. This game, I look at it and on one hand, Ohio State could once again use this matchup as a sounding board. They have the much better roster, much better coaching staff. Michigan State has an interim head coach. They're coming off of one win, but before that, they were on a six-game losing streak. Meanwhile, Ohio State is undefeated. 
One more thing before we dive deep into this content. If you want to support the channel, there's no pressure, but check out my Patreon page via the link in the description and the link in the pinned comment if you want to support College Football with Sam and also gain some bonus content if you are an All-American or Heisman patron. We're trying to reach 20,000 subscribers by the end of the college football season, so sharing this channel around and liking this video would also be helpful. Thank you so much, guys, for your support. Ohio State fans, I think, still compose the largest fan base on this channel. And Michigan fans, I think, come in a close second. Maybe Michigan fans have already taken the lead. But as a Michigan fan, talking about Michigan State and Ohio State, these are two teams that I respect. I typically respect Michigan rivals. I think that Notre Dame might be an exception as Notre Dame backed out of said rivalry. If Ohio State or Michigan State decided to call quits on their annual rivalries with Michigan, I'd be furious at them. But Michigan State and Ohio State wanted Michigan to be a protected rival moving forward with scheduling, and I love that. You know, college football is very quickly changing and evolving and it seems like there is a new metabolic reaction in college football every few seconds and that there's just you know a constant change in chemical reaction and yet there are you know traditions like Ohio State and Michigan playing in the game or Michigan and Michigan State playing for the Paul Bunyan trophy that remain the same and it's good to balance tradition while also balancing evolution and progress in college football and also in your own personal lives and in other things. But anyway, this game is an opportunity for Ohio State to evolve because Ohio State has had a plethora of struggles, and we can acknowledge that. Almost all of them are on the offensive side of the ball. Ohio State, I think, can also tinker defensively in this game because against Penn State, for example, or Rutgers, or heck, I'd say even Wisconsin, Ohio State's opponents have had enough star power to where if Ohio State's typically conservative defense makes the wrong move, the opponent could have capitalized on Ohio State's mistake and turned it into a score. An example of this is Wisconsin's first drive out of the half against Ohio State. I think Ohio State made some substitutions or called different plays defensively, and there was Will Pauling and Braden Locke, and passes were being completed, and Wisconsin marched down the field without Braylon Allen and scored a touchdown, and it was tied 10-10. to This is the intriguing aspect of Ohio State playing the type of game that they are, especially on defense. It reminds me a ton of Michigan's offense last year. Michigan's offense last year was a near-elite to, dare I say it, elite offense. I mean, it really was, with Oluwaluwatimi, Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan, um, Ryan Hayes, I believe, who's now in the NFL, and Trente Jones and Carson Barnhart at the other tackle position, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, McCarthy was probably along with the wide receivers, the weak link of the offense, but Luke Schoonmaker at tight end and Colston Loveland were other threats offensively. And Michigan would just jam the ball down your throat, and you could not stop it. 
You could not stop Michigan's run game. You could limit Michigan's run game. You could not stop it, though. Very similar in almost an ironic way to Ohio State's passing offense of the past two seasons. You could not stop C.J. Stroud and either Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Igbuka, Julian Fleming, whichever set of receivers were on the field, in any combination with Stroud at quarterback and their offensive lines, which were elite at pass protection and anywhere from okay in 2021 to near elite to elite in 2022 at run blocking, you could not stop Ohio State's passing offense. You could only limit it. It It's very similar for Michigan's rushing attack in 2022, and I wish as a Wolverine that my school, my football team, had that rushing attack this year because I'd be even more confident in my own team than I am right now. Ohio State has that, I think, with their defense. This defense is not going to get totally destroyed. I don't think by anyone. And if they do, it will be because, I think, of the offense and maybe complacency defensively or taking too many risks defensively. Jim Knowles as a coordinator has to you know, continue to learn from what transpired last season where when he wanted to be aggressive, he gave in, and that's when Georgia and Michigan capitalized, often through the air and sometimes on the ground, on his defense's aggression. This year, he's reacted to that by being extremely conservative. You rarely see Ohio State zero blitzing. You always see them with deep safeties. They always prevent the big play. The double handoff, I'm going to give grace there. That's like the only big play they've allowed all season. Trick play didn't turn into a touchdown. Ohio State's defensive backs caught up with Kyle Manungai and tackled him, and that drive resulted in a field goal. But in the same way that Michigan offensively last year, they got comfortable. They didn't want to open up the playbook. They wanted to win in this particular way, and maybe for fear of McCarthy's risk-taking and his problems with turnovers that were very evident in 2021, they didn't let him sling it around all that much, and they just ran, 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 relied on defense to get stops, ran it again, maybe a, you know, a play-action pass or a, a pop pass or a short-medium pass here, and a deep shot when the, you know, the end zone was wide open and when Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson weren't covered. Ohio State, it's it's advisable to change things up because last year against TCU, when McCarthy had to put the game on his back because Michigan was down and Donovan Edwards was being stuffed, TCU was out physicaling Michigan on both sides of the football. They were dominating the lines of scrimmage. You need your quarterback to step up. You need your receivers to step up. And McCarthy threw pick sixes, threw inaccurate balls. On Michigan's, Michigan had a final drive where they had a chance to drive down the field, take the lead, and win. It's not like TCU scored and then Michigan had a turnover on the first play of the next drive and TCU just needed out. Michigan had a full four passing attempts and I think a little under a minute left. And J.J. McCarthy just couldn't make the throw, and he was under duress. And he wasn't comfortable passing as much as he did in that Fiesta Bowl game. In the same way, Ohio State doesn't want to become too comfortable 
in their conservative defense that is willing to adopt a bend-but-don't-break philosophy. Because against an offense like Michigan, or against an offense like Oregon, or Washington, or Georgia with Brock Bowers, that defense of Ohio State's can bend, and then maybe it breaks at an unexpected time. Because the trench play for all of those schools is too good, they have running backs, they have quarterbacks who are very good at not turning over the football, who are accurate, who also have mobility to them outside of Michael Penix, and Penix is the most accurate out of all those four teams' quarterbacks when he's on point. I don't want to over-exaggerate and ramble on, and I feel like I'm doing that, but it's very critical, I think, for Ohio State defensively, as that is their strength, to be malleable, to be adaptable, and to not get stuck in what they are doing, which right now is elite, right now is good, I think the offense needs more attention than the defense, but the defense right now is the one that is carrying the biggest load. Therefore, it's important to ensure that the defense functions at peak efficiency and does its job the best. We expect, after nine games in, for Ohio State's offense to you know, sputter out of control at times and throw a stupid pick or go three and out or get stuffed at the line of scrimmage or call a cute play on a fourth down or a third down, or be confusing in play calling, period, amen, not just in certain situations. But defensively, we've now expected this team to come out and hold offenses to next to nothing, especially in the second half. And that's all well and good. In fact, that's great. The previous two Ohio State offenses really could have used this defense the defense at some point is going to face an offense that is much better than any offense they face so far this season. Michigan will be the best offense from what we know that Ohio State has faced all season long. And then in the playoffs, if Ohio State makes the playoffs or even a New Year's Six Bowl, they will likely face a competent offense there as well. Michigan State is not a competent team all around. They have some players at wide receiver. They have a rising quarterback in Keaton Hauser, a mobile quarterback in Sam Leavitt. They have an offensive line that I think is underrated, and they have, you know, some decent tight ends. Malik Carr isn't playing right now, and they have a great running back in Nathan Carter. They can potentially test Ohio State defensively, only if Ohio State tries new things or precautionarily rests defensive players who might not be 100% right now. This matchup, I'm not going to lie, the reason I'm talking about Ohio State so much and talking in, in a lot of future tense, talking about Ohio State's future big games, is because this matchup is extremely lopsided. Um, on the left side of the screen, it should say FPI rank, not potential power rank, potential power for context which is the bonus content on Patreon, will be out next week. So in ESPN's FPI, Michigan State is the 78th best team. Ohio State is the best team. Michigan State is 3-6. and six. Ohio State's 9-0. The Buckeyes are given a whopping 97.9% chance to win for FPI. This game will be played in the horseshoe. About 15% of you on my community poll picked Michigan State to win. That's about 390 votes. 
probably most of them are Michigan State fans or Michigan fans or Penn State fans who just absolutely hate Ohio State because, let's face it, Michigan State very likely won't win this game. 85% of you all picked Ohio State to win about 2,210. Make sure to vote on my community polls because your vote is included in all of this. I like to see where my audience and my subscriber base is at with a lot of these games. It, it does give me an insight of the general feel of college football fans, but more specifically of my own audience, because there have been games where my audience picks majorly one way, and then I see betting trends or another channel who's larger than mine release a poll, like Bordeaux, for example, great NCAA 14 YouTuber, by the way, and his audience or the national audience is picking differently. And it gets me thinking, like, huh, wonder why that is. Vegas has Ohio State favored by 31.5 points. And according to ESPN's FPI, just taking the assigned point values to each team and then adding on three points to whoever has home field advantage, Ohio State should be favored by 33 points. So Ohio State is a big favorite. They're at home. This is also a night game, by the way. I don't know if that matters too much since this isn't a big game, but I would say there'd be a better chance of Ohio State sleepwalking through this game if it was at noon or, you know, 3.30 or 4 than I think at 7.30. This game is going to be at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC this Saturday, which is in three days, and Ohio State is wearing a unique gray uniform, an all-gray uniform, light gray. I think it's a beautiful uniform. Michigan State has had phenomenal uniforms this season, so I'm curious to see what they bring out of their wardrobe and wear in this game. Harlan Barnett, he earned his first win as Michigan State's interim head coach, and for all the bad games that he called and all the poor decisions that he made, I thought that he was a much better game manager against Nebraska, on top of the fact that Nebraska made a lot of mistakes, even more than they typically make. But I don't want to take away that Harlan Barnett got his first win. It was a good win, a much-needed win, a win at home, a win on senior day. And I think that Michigan State in this matchup will play inspired football. I can't guarantee that, but that's what I think is going to happen. From a, from a position advantage standpoint, Ohio State just is far and above Michigan State everywhere. They have the better quarterback, the better running backs, the better receivers, tight end and wide receiver. They have the better lines of scrimmage at O-line and D-line. They have the better linebacker core, the better defensive backs. I think that's obvious. And better special teams unit. Michigan State does have a good punter in Ryan Eckley, and Jonathan Kim is a good kicker. Jesse Mirko for punter, and then at kicker, his name's escaping me. I think for Ohio State, it's not... Yeah, it's Jaden Fielding. Jaden Fielding kicking for Ohio State. I think that Ohio State and Michigan State, the most comparable area of these two teams, is probably the special teams unit. And I'd give Ohio State the edge there. I think Michigan State has a higher ceiling on special teams than Ohio State does, but they also have this really low floor where they they you know shake, shank a punt, muff a punt, you know, get an incorrect snap over the punter's head or the punter doesn't collect it or, you know, fumbles, turnovers. I think Ohio State is the more disciplined 
special teams unit. So I am going to give that to them. Michigan State against Nebraska had seven sacks. They got after the quarterback all day long. Michigan State has 25 sacks on the year. Ohio State only has 17. And this is through nine games. Last year, Ohio State in 13 games at 34 sacks, double of what they have through nine this season. And I think a lot of that is Ohio State's mainly playing with four-man fronts. They rarely send more than four people at a time. And they try and generate more coverage sacks or sacks on quarterbacks that are trying to escape the pocket. Ohio State typically likes to cage their opposing quarterbacks rather than, let's say, Manny Diaz at Penn State, who sends an all-out you know, five, six, or seven-man blitz and just hurls pressure like a trebuchet hurling a boulder at a castle. He hurls his defense at opposing quarterbacks. I expect Ohio State to get pressure on Michigan State. Michigan State has an inferior offensive line compared to Maryland's offensive line at the time Ohio State played them, and compared to Penn State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers' offensive line in general. Same with Notre Dame. So there's a lot of teams that Ohio State has played that have better offensive lines than the Spartans do. Ohio State's leader in sacks is JT Tuimola with four. He also has two passes deflected and 27 total tackles. Ohio State, they have 41 passes defended, six interceptions, three returned for six, and they have seven forced fumbles and three fumble recoveries. Their leader in interceptions is tied with Steel Chambers, Jermaine Matthews Jr., Josh Proctor, Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, and Lathan Ransom, all of whom have one interception. Jermaine Matthews Jr., Josh Proctor, and Jordan Hancock each have a pick six. Michigan leads the nation in pick sixes, if my memory serves me correctly, with four. Ohio State, I wouldn't be shocked if they were tied in second with some other schools. They have three interceptions, and they also have a fumble returned for a touchdown by Ty Leak Williams. Ty Leak Williams has five passes deflected, two sacks, and 38 total tackles. He's another player to look out for. And Ohio State's leading tackler this season is Tommy Eichenberg with 73. He has a sack and a forced fumble. And Steel Chambers is close behind him with 54 total tackles. I love Ohio State's defense. The only thing to be concerned about with them, I'd say, is their defensive front. There are times where I'm concerned about their rush defense or concerned about their ability to get pressure. But I think a lot of this is due to the fact that Ohio State doesn't want They don't want to give up the big play, especially through the air. They do not want to give up the big play. They don't want to give up a passing touchdown, a running touchdown. And it's easier on this defense, who I think is better at defensive back and better at linebacker than they are all around on the D-line, if they just can give up yards in between the 20s. And then as the field compresses, as it gets harder to score because it's you know inevitably harder to score in the red zone as the field is shrunk there's less opportunity for busted coverages busted plays for wide open holes then that's where Ohio State's defense can really be aggressive and be stout without much risk is allowing yardage and essentially hot air because touchdowns are that much more valuable than field goals they allow hot air to teams in between the 20s I love Ohio State's defense offensively Kyle McCord is the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. He is a 160.6 passer rating. He is ninth 
in quarterback efficiency. He had a 79.8 quarterback efficiency rating against Rutgers. He has 17 passing touchdowns, four interceptions. He has 2,352 passing yards. McCord is intriguing because there's an argument that he really holds this offense back. Then there's the argument that he is an elite quarterback, but his offensive line doesn't help him, doesn't do him any favors. I'm in the middle. I think McCord inevitably holds this offense back, but I think that a better offensive line for Ohio State would do wonders for him. He would still not play at a C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields level, but if this offense had, let's say, the Michigan of today's offensive line or the Rutgers of today's offensive line or the Georgia of today's offensive line or even more helpful, the Oregon or Oregon State offensive line of today, I'd be willing to bet that Ohio State's offense would be scoring at least a field goal or touchdown more per game in terms of total points. And a better offensive line would be that much more impactful. Ohio State this season is allowing nearly two sacks per game. Last year, they were allowing just around a sack per game on average. So double the amount of sacks being allowed. I can only imagine there's even more pressures being allowed on Kyle McCord. And Ohio State on the ground is only averaging four yards per carry. Only four. And there are games against whether it's Penn State, who has an elite run defense, or Maryland, who is just awful defensively, where Ohio State can't run the football. And with Travion Henderson, he has 585 rushing yards. He's averaging 6.5 yards per carry with seven rushing touchdowns. And he also has 170 receiving yards. He fits this offensive line because, like his offensive line, he is a boom-or-bust running back. I like that he has a, a power element to him. It's not very noticeable. It's not something you should be relying on, but he can you know, truck through defenders. He can break a tackle and get himself into open space rather than relying on his offensive line to get him into open space. He is a boomer-bust running back, and that isn't an insult, nor is it a compliment. I'm basically saying he's a speed and space back. And with this offensive line, which at times executes wonderfully, other times is a complete disaster, you often see Henderson get long or medium-distance runs. You rarely see him get short runs that really mean anything. Like, for example, Hassan Haskins, three or four yards per carry, but a cloud of dust. He gets that every time. Henderson is more so maybe five, but more so, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe 20 or 30 yards in a carry. Next play, mostly because the offensive line stuffed at the line of scrimmage, or maybe a one or two yard gain. The rushing attack has been inconsistent, and this is against everyone, not just against Notre Dame or Penn State's defense or a Rutgers defense that is built more to defend the pass, but still admirably defended the run at times. Henderson's an elite running back. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ikbuka, Carnell Tate, Julian Fleming, those are elite wide receivers. Cade Stover is an elite tight end. Marvin Harrison Jr. has 914 receiving yards and 10 receiving touchdowns. Expect him to cross 1,000 receiving yards on the season in this game against a secondary that, well, it's better than every Michigan State secondary since the beginning of the COVID season. 
this would have been Mel Tucker's best secondary if he was still coaching right now, which he isn't for obvious reasons. Nonetheless, it's still one of the more inferior secondaries in the Big Ten. I expect Marvin Harrison Jr. to have a mismatch against that secondary, along with every Ohio State receiver and Henderson out of the backfield. Nonetheless, Michigan State's defense has 27 sacks on the season, or 25 rather. They're averaging close to three sacks per game. They have 33 passes defended, nine interceptions, and they have five forced fumbles and six fumble recoveries. This defense last year was certainly an inferior unit compared to this year's defense. The problem is play calling from Scotty Hazleton and especially from Jay Johnson are mediocre. Harlan Barnett knows how to lead a locker room and knows how to, I think, teach young men and men to be admirable, to be respectable. He's not a CEO, though. He's not a game manager. He's never, he's only been a coordinator. I almost said never, but he went down to Florida State under Willie Taggart. Was not his fault that the defense and the team there was a failure. That was on Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart, in fact, I read an article, messed with Harlan Barnett's defense and made it worse than it had to be. So Barnett does have some experience as a defensive coordinator, no head coaching experience, and coordinator experience for him was very limited. He's best for being a defensive backs coach and I think for being a leader when it comes to character. Definitely not a schemer, but who knows, maybe he'll become that in the future. Nonetheless, last year, Michigan State's defense had 29 sacks through 12 games, 31 passes defended, two interceptions, they had 14 forced fumbles, 10 fumble recoveries. Their secondary was just non-existent last year, and in 2021, the secondary had some clutch moments, like the Charles Brantley interception against Kate McNamara, but it was really a horrendous unit throughout the year. Michigan State's secondary helped boost C.J. Stroud's drafting stock every time. Every time he faced them, even in 2020, when he took that, I think it was, I think he took a long, yeah, he took a long run against Michigan State and showcased his legs. C.J. Stroud, Michigan State's worst nightmare, but he is gone. And defensively, the Spartan defense has a lot of upside. They can get after you. And Ohio State's offensive line, I think, needs to play at a good level against this Michigan State defense. Ohio State's offensive line, depending on the day, can be horrendous or it can be good. You need it to be good in this game if Ohio State wants to be able to start preparing for bigger and brighter things ahead rather than getting stuck in the mud and having to either go back to their basic game plan and maximize their chances of winning in the here and now rather than in the future. Michigan State offensively, their leader in passing yards is still Noah Kim, but he's been benched. Keaton Hauser right now is the starting quarterback with 674 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 116.1 passer rating. Michigan State's offensive line has allowed 16 sacks throughout the season. The offensive line isn't great, isn't even good. I'm not going to sell you that. I think it's an I think it's above average though, and I think Noah Kim and Jay Johnson's play calling have made the offensive line look worse than it actually is. I think with Caden Hauser, this offensive line functions much better. Nathan Carter is averaging 4.2 yards per carry, and he has 659 rushing yards. 
four rushing touchdowns. He won't break 1,000 yards this season as Michigan State has to play Ohio State this weekend, Indiana the following weekend, and Penn State on Black Friday. That's going to be a very, very fun um, Black Friday and final slate of games with Civil War, Penn State, Michigan State, a game that I'm actually going to, the game on Saturday, and don't forget about Nebraska-Iowa in that Heroes game. And also Wisconsin-Minnesota, those Big Ten West matchups are going to be very intriguing, extremely intriguing on the final weekend of the regular season. Carter has averaged four yards per carry or better against Minnesota, Iowa, Maryland, Richmond, and Central Michigan. And against Nebraska, and that's it, he's averaged above three yards per carry, but no less than that. He has 156 carries. He's only fumbled once on the year and lost it against Maryland. He's an extremely reliable running back. I expect him to be used often in this game, especially reflecting upon Ohio State's willingness to give up rushing yards against Wisconsin and Rutgers. I think State, with their kicker, will be willing to move in between the 20s and settle for field goals. Monterey Foster Jr., Trey Mosley, Jaron Glover, and Christian Fitzpatrick, along with Tyrell Henry, are receivers with over 100 yards, and each of them, outside of Glover, have a receiving touchdown. So Michigan State has underrated players, but Ohio State is far and above whatever players Michigan State has. And that's no disrespect to Michigan State. I don't mean to disrespect any college football team. This is just how I see it. Players to watch in this game are Nathan Carter and Kyle McCord. Nathan Carter, I just got done talking about him a few seconds ago. Nathan Carter is a good player. 5'10", 200 pounds. He has a power element to him. He also has showcased against Central Michigan and Richmond an ability to find holes and make something out of nothing. I don't expect him to do the latter in this game as Ohio State is either the second best or best defense they faced all year. I think that Michigan and Ohio State both have a better defense than Iowa. Michigan playing Penn State this weekend will do a large service to proving the hierarchy of Michigan's position units. And if they are actually elite, or if Michigan is just a poser as a team, or in certain aspects of the team. Again, check out my Michigan and Penn State video. If you haven't already seen that preview, just go on my channel page, and it's the first video that'll pop up on the home section, because I have that set there. So the first video that you see when you visit my channel, whether as a subscriber or not, is my Penn State versus Michigan preview plus prediction. If Michigan State wants to pull off the unthinkable, Nathan Carter needs to run early, he needs to run often, and he's going to have to showcase his ability to do something out of nothing against this Ohio State defense, which I don't think will happen. But who knows? You have to play the games. Games are not one on paper. They're not one on a computer model. They are one through players and through men battling it out and out-scheming each other. For Ohio State, the player to watch is Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord, if he can't tear up the secondary, that may not bode well for Ohio State's championship hopes. Kyle McCord, in this game, you're facing a secondary that is just miserable. They got carved up by Washington, carved up by Michigan and J.J. McCarthy. Carve up this secondary, gain confidence, you know, step up a tier, 
do what you have to do. But also, add the cherry on top, if you can. If your team can't afford that, and if you're pulling away, doing well, trying new things, and the new things are teaching you something as a staff and as a roster, but you're also still dominating Michigan State while taking some risks, add the cherry on top. Kyle McCord needs every passing touchdown he can get in this scheme to help boost his confidence, boost Marvin Harris and Jr.'s chances of getting into the Heisman ceremony, and giving his receivers confidence too. Julian Fleming, he hasn't been consistent for this entire season, and Emeka Igbuka has been out with some injuries. So the more Ohio State can pass in this game, I think the better. I think Ohio State, we already know the ceiling of their rushing attack with their offensive line. Their offensive line is never going to be elite this year. It just won't. Henderson's an elite player, we know that. However, I think we understand that this run game is boom or bust. The offensive line's strength is in pass protection. They have more room to grow there. And if they can gain some confidence against a decent to above-average Michigan State defensive front, and if Kyle McCord can rack up passing yards, I think that will help Ohio State's offense. It's like giving a quarterback or wide receivers or anyone in the offense extra repetitions, but not exhausting repetitions, repetitions against a defense that I think we know is an inferior unit to Ohio State's offense and doesn't match up well with it. I think, and let me know in the comment section if you agree with me, I think if Ohio State wants to maximize their chances to win, you pass to open up the run and you go pass heavy, running to keep defenses honest. Maybe McCord, with his inaccuracies and with the offensive line, maybe that's not a good idea, and I don't think that necessarily maximizes Ohio State's chances to beat Michigan. I think you have to be balanced to beat a team like Michigan, but that is also with the perception, and in a certain sense, that opinion of mine is me gambling on the fact that Michigan's an elite team. If Penn State comes out and exposes Michigan, and let's say Drew Aller is able to pass on this Michigan defense, then Ohio State going pass heavy and at sometimes ignoring the run would actually benefit them against Michigan. So we'll learn a lot about the game and what Ohio State should be doing to prepare after this Michigan-Penn State matchup. But think about beyond Michigan. That's very hard, but it's a necessity. The 12-team playoff is going to create an opportunity that Michigan and Ohio State could lose in the game and perhaps in another matchup and enter the playoff with two losses. And last year, Ohio State backed into the playoff despite missing the Big Ten championship game, not winning their division, and losing to Michigan. They can do the same thing this year if certain circumstances come to light. In the college football playoff, whether it's Oregon, who struggles to defend the pass more than they do the run. Washington, I think similar, though Washington's defense is more inept in balance rather than inept in one position like Oregon's is. Or Georgia, though it would be a good idea to run against Georgia given their defense. But against teams that don't have the elite defense that Penn State or Michigan, from what we know, do, it would be a good idea for Ohio State to play to their strengths rather than trying to play to their opponent's weaknesses, if that makes sense. And I think their strength is still the passing game by a mile. 
with Kyle McCord in that elite set of receivers and tight end Cade Stover when he's healthy. I think Ohio State's going to win. I think they're going to cover. I think the Spartans will run for about 100 yards because I think that whether it's Hauser, second-string quarterback Sam Leavitt, or Nathan Carter, I think that Michigan State will try and establish a run game, maybe slow down the game. I think Michigan State will get a touchdown. They will try a field goal. They will be able to move in between the 20s at times, but Ohio State overall will shut them down. Michigan State will come out. They'll play with inspiration. I think they will score most or all of these points perhaps in the first half, and then from there, Ohio State will just take over. I expect Ryan Day to call a run-heavy offense. I do. This is going against everything that I think he should do, but what do I know? I'm not a coach. He knows better than me. I expect that he knows what he's doing. This is just, when I say I think X team should do something, it's not me saying I know better than them. It's me offering my perspective, and I expect my perspective to be wrong, and if it's right, I'll mention it. If it's wrong, I'll also mention it. But if it's right, I'll be happy, and I'll think to myself, well, I guess you did actually see something and think an intelligent thought in this instance. But I expect Ryan Day to call a run-heavy offense because I think that Ryan Day and Ohio State are preparing for Michigan to play their best game. And I think that Ryan Day and the staff understand that they need to have a balanced attack to beat Michigan. And I think that Ohio State knows right now that Michigan is an elite team. And I think that Ohio State expects Michigan to have that 11-0 record, as Ohio State likely will when they enter Ann Arbor to play at noon with Gus Johnson, Joel Clay. I cannot wait for the game. I can't. Let me down in, in the comments below, just typing in all caps this comment, THE GAME, if you cannot wait for Ohio State and Michigan to take the field and just beat up on each other and engage in the greatest rivalry in sports history. I think Ryan Day wants to control the clock, wants to run the football, he wants to be physical. Michigan State's running defense is good enough to be a test for that. They're not good enough to hold up for a whole four quarters even against Ohio State's offensive line, and especially when you put in Travion Henderson and the fact that Chip Trainum is healthy. So I think Ryan Day is going to call a run-heavy attack. I think there will be more rushing attempts than passing attempts. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm going out on a limb. That's what I think will happen. This defense will force multiple turnovers, and in the second half, they will explode. They will play perfect football in the second half. I don't think Michigan State will score a single point in the second half unless Ohio State puts in their you know mix of second and third stringers into this game. That's all I have to say in this video. 45 to 10 is my score prediction. And thank you for your support. Thank you for watching the video. I want to give a shout out to Crash2488, Anthony McDowell, and Justin Rogg for being Heisman patrons. Thank you to Spencer Bringhurst, Noah DDLC, and SFS Inverted for being All-American patrons. And Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah. Thank you for being All-Conference patrons. Have a great night, guys, and I will see you around. Bye-bye.